Throughout this series, we've been honoured to talk to guests who have been willing to share their privileged journey. We've had Alessa Rigal, a human rights expert who talked about human-to-human equity at work and through the supply chain. We talked with Nick James, founder of Expert Empires, about taking action to increase diversity in his organisation. We talked to Asif Sadiq, worldwide DEI leader for Warner Media, about what a truly inclusive culture looks like. And we talked to Shireen Qureshi, former senior marketing director at Barclays and founder of Sports Tech Global Conference and her experience of belonging at work. This has been an amazing series exploring equity, diversity, inclusion and belonging. In this episode, our last for the season, we come back to our research, The Privileged Conundrum, exploring how privilege plays an important part in our equity, diversity, inclusion and belonging experience at work possibly the hidden menace. Roger Williams from Intelligent Thinking, who we talked to in series one, has been working with us on collecting and analysing our survey data. And he joins us to talk through some of the findings. And there is clearly a need to address privilege at work more openly and transparently through policies, systems and culture change. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast, a podcast by Belonging Pioneers and Culture Lab Consultancy about the questions and ideas around the hidden barriers to achieving our DEI goals. This is where we erupt the constraining impact of privilege and explore new possibilities in the context of shared power and purpose. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer at Belonging Pioneers. And me, Kami Nuttall, founder of Culture Lab Consultancy. Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do. You want to create success through connection and belonging, and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work. And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realise a culture of inclusion for all. One of the things that I think uh, is is really important for organizations to consider is that as a fundamentally hidden threat, and and I'm only talking about this now from the perspective of the data and the analysis and the responses that I've I've read and understood uh, in completing the survey, this is fundamentally a hidden menace Mm -hmm. that people unknowingly deploy against other people. And those behaviors and and the way these things come to the surface can happen not as a consequence of, of um, kind of daily working practice and being a great organization and being a hugely caring organization. These things can happen as a consequence of some nuanced relationship that people within the organization might have, something in their background or their beliefs or something that shaped their personality or, or just maybe recent conversations with somebody who's maybe not in a good place. These are all things that can trigger inappropriate inadvertent use of privilege and the consequences of that use are unmanageable <clears throat> and and they become more prescient in a situation where the people in that organization are not alert to look out for these things and i think the thing that stands out for me from from the survey and the analysis and the whole of this engagement 
is that once you become aware of this issue, you are far, far less likely to fall over it later on. It's it's that, as you call it, the eruption of, of privilege, the, the bringing it to the surface and actually getting people to see it and, and think about it basically is the greatest gift you can give to any organization mm -hmm. yeah. that is at risk of this. I love that, Roger, because what, you know, typically the human instinct would cause people to get really upset when they see this kind of data. It would typically um, make them what Robin DiAngelo uglily called becoming white fragile. That's, that's um, yeah, I, I love the thought of relating this to... Uh, to this as relating to this as a hidden menace because that's what it is because if you don't deal with it then you're just not going to move forward as an organization in the 21st century and rather than you know and, and blame can come in many different ways and we've seen this right and we've helped our clients through this uh, in almost every engagement we do and um, you know Either they will blame us or they will blame some data or they will blame their colleagues or they will blame their leaders, you know, uh, the, or, or um, more and more recently, as people become more acutely aware of mental health, they'll say, oh, you've affected my mental health. Mm. Right. You made me cry. It's like you need to cry it's okay to show some emotion around this because this is this is trauma that's been held by black and brown people for years and years and years and if you're serious as an organization in breaking through the constraints of privilege the hidden menace of privilege you've got to feel some emotion about it and that doesn't mean that your mental health is impacted and you're going to suffer and there are some cases where that you know, is obviously relevant, but I think for the the majority of people, it's not. It's crying a little bit, getting moved by this is actually a good thing because it helps you to see a different kind of reality. Well, Do you know what? I actually think that people don't recognise when we say, you know, move into the discomfort of this and be ready. They've never been asked to do that. And, you know, when they're asked to do it, it's almost like, yes, of course. Yeah, we'll do that. But it's superficial because until they're in that discomfort, they, they don't really know how to, to react or manage it, I think. And yeah. that's because, you know, in the workplace situation, we don't talk about this stuff. And it's only the last, you know, when we are now starting to talk about these, these subjects and doing sort of having that deeper reflection, I think, I think that, that certainly does yeah. raise something, doesn't it, in terms of the way we approach work and the way we actually, what assumptions we make at work about how work should happen and how much of yourself do you bring to work? I, this whole thing around bring your whole self to work. Yeah. I, 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 complete, I completely agree. And, 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 and one of the fascinating elements of this, of this research from my perspective um, so far is that even in the best of organizations, because I know, for instance, that one of the organizations that we've concentrated on is, is, a, is a very good, thoughtful caring really progressive organization and what it shows is that there's an unconscious element to this that mm. even they are at risk of uh, or from i should say 
and that you know it, it shouldn't be a sense of shame or embarrassment that that people are concerned or or concerns are raised. It should be an absolute pleasure for people to uncover things that can be improved upon. Actions can be taken that might make might well make a difference, uh, and, and will certainly remove mm. or well, remove too strong, reduce the chance of some accidental issue happening. Now that's that's talking that's talking to an organisation that what what I would consider to be at the top end of integrity. Yeah. What about the ones down the other end? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just want to pick, like, pick something you said, Roger, though. You know, you just said about how a caring organisation, a nice organisation, you know, an organisation that actually, you know, does good. Well, you know, having worked with so many um, organisations where people describe their culture as nice, welcoming, it's friendly. Actually, you know, nice isn't great. <laughs> nice can be where we well, hide things behind because we don't like to disrupt or, or, or what was it? Rock the boat, right, Shreen? Yeah, so yeah, yeah it's, it's well, true, true, true. And you know, we can't. The search for perfection is an ongoing thing, right? Because it changes <laughs> all the time. It changes all the time. But you don't have to. You, you, there's no reason why to carry risk. Yeah. There's yeah. there's no reason why having having had a discovery that you'd say anything other than thanks for telling us this because cranky, this is very real. We understand it, we get it, and we can act on this now. Uh, and, and that what what's the consequence, by the way? Um, well, your brand image will become better, you'll, in, you'll attract more customers, you'll be able to retain, uh, attract and retain the right staff, you'll have less issues, distracting issues, and productivity will go up. But you know, hey, who needs all that stuff? Ishreen, that's the sound bite. That's the sound bite. <laughs> I love that sound bite. But that but that's really that's really the truth isn't it it's really well it's not it's not just the truth it certainly isn't opinion anymore it's not it's now, it's now actually you know statistically proven yeah so, yeah we've got so, to show it and, and and the big the big thing that that i think we've all learned mm. is throughout this survey is that you had a you had an instinct for it for this, right? You you kind of went, there's something not quite right here. Right. And and at the beginning we were struggling to almost uncover what we were talking about. And then with as a gift from heaven, our wonderful uh, government leadership basically handed us a, a on a plate a clear example of what putting your foot in it privilege looks like coming from an environment that is absolutely festered with bad mm. behavior um that tv program the thick of it is probably the closest example to a real government agency i've ever seen yeah. Lang- yeah. with colorful language and, and brutal behavior between people that only oh, that i've i've actually experienced working in the cabinet office so um or with them not for them by the way, just in a couple of days, didn't really get involved. But what I observed was was this lack of privilege on acid. And now here it is. Here, here it is. We're seeing it rolled out right in front of us, run its course. It's brought down the prime minister, the, the big biggest job in the country. It's almost, so, uh, 
it's almost the best case study we could have hoped for, right, to demonstrate what we're talking about here. Well, Nirvana, you know. Yeah, but, but you know, I'm going to say it. My Sorry, husband thought that way. was the reason why we, why the prime minister should have actually probably stepped down, or but it so took them another six months or so in to actually do the deed. So you there know, you go. I, I, I promoted the word integrity from being a sideshow into being one of the three primary values of any organization. Purpose, purpose, the generation of value, and integrity. Those are the three things. When integrity breaks, there's no coming back. Well, it takes a lot of work to bring it back. It takes a lot. You can't. You, you can't. You can't. The interesting thing about that case study is that so they put forward, I think it's five black and brown people into the mm. conference. There was quite a few, weren't there? There were quite a few. And then you've got a, lo a lot of women in there. So look where, you know, we are equitable, right? But then you I, look at the people no. who come forward and, and stood to take on the, the big job next. And we researched this and we actually wrote a blog about this, is that all of them come from privilege. It's like Nadir Dawahi, yes, he was an Iraqi refugee, right? And his family had, but his, I can't remember whether it's his father or his great grandfather, or his grandfather rather, was the head of the Iraqi Central Bank. Mm -hmm. Oh. Well, he didn't come over on a boat then. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. No, well, maybe, it was, maybe it was Britannia, the royal yacht or something. <laughs> you know what, Roger, in that situation, it's quite possible that he did come over on, on a boat, right? But the whole privilege conversation, is it structural? Yeah. Structural yeah. that the five or so black and brown people and the, I don't know, three or five or so women who came forward, it's structural that they come from a privileged background. And they might be even unconscious about it. Yeah. And, and, and that, that doesn't guarantee them having decent morals. It doesn't guarantee them having any, any ability to create tangible relationships with it, to exercise integrity. I mean, in fact, by, it seems to me that the first element of the, the first stage of the debate, when all of them got involved, yeah. All of them showed a total lack of integrity. Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, we're going to derail this conversation by ranting about integrity their priorities. But, you know, it's a worthy conversation. It really is. It really is. But we should get on to the, um, the, 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 the survey results, right? One little point about the whole structural thing, though, is that when you want to dismantle privilege, we can... And this is the same with anti-racism. It's the same with building an inclusive organization is that you have to pay attention to the structural elements, whether yeah. Yeah. individuals heritage or the organization's heritage, you have to, to break through and move and pioneer in the space of being a, an equitable organization. That's not um, held back by conscious and unconscious privilege, you have to deal with those structural issues. Yeah. That's my thing. Yours is integrity, mine's structural privilege. Shall we get into the data? Let's get into the data and let's have a... Let's have a to be fair, I think your data reflects exactly what Ishrina's just said. <laughs> it's our data, it's their data, and it's, um, it's, just, it's just incredible.
how it correlates with things and hypotheses that you both presented at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I mean, the purpose of any survey worth its salt is generally not to go out and generally find out things about things. It's got a purpose behind it. And the purpose behind this survey was really to figure out whether or not there was any real case for, for the hypotheses that you were putting forward. And the, and the hypotheses that uh, we were testing was, is, is privilege a hidden unconscious problem that mm -hmm. does or has potential to damage an organization and the individuals within it if it's not carefully curated? And this, is, this was one of our starting hypotheses God knows how long ago, but it was it was the starting hypothesis, and we we went on to try and uncover this in a in a, in a kind of a structured way by looking at how people perceive privilege, what it means to them, what experience they have on it, what they experience they have on it with others, and how their organization deals with it. Because the context we put on this is is the workplace, and mm -hmm. um, privilege exists in other aspects of life as well. But we were looking at it. From the context of of, of the workplace, um, and then when we look at who we asked and who actually responded, um, we, we we agreed that uh, the best way to get this out was to really publish articles on uh, privilege and our perceptions of privilege and our experiences and maybe some examples of privilege, and to use that as a stimulation to to get people to respond. And I think that's the best way of doing it because it brings everything into context mm. so that people responding were already kind of warmed up to the subject by reading one of the articles or watching a podcast or whatever, listening to a podcast or whatever it was that they had done. And the mix of responses that we got were great. And of course, as you know, we did a good bit of a reverse testing. We didn't, we didn't test to find out how marginal you were. We tested people at the beginning to find out how general they were. So we did have 71% people responding being white, 84% physically able, 74% considered themselves well-educated. Whoever, whoever agrees to not feeling well-educated, anyway, uh, well-educated. 71% describe them as heterosexual, uh, themselves as heterosexual, 61% as financially comfortable, uh, uh, and 31% uh, as their gender as being male. Now, it, it kind of goes against the grain of some of the ways in which things are defined nowadays, but we wanted it to have to, to have that definition, not set off any kind of rockets in people and get them triggered into all sorts of reactions. Um, and, and it's quite clear that people that responded are in a pretty much a reflective balance of British society today. It's it's not far off the kind of median statistics i believe mm. um also from a workplace perspective 25 percent were fairly senior people uh in organizations 61 percent were middle management or just general staff and 13 percent represented owners and boards and board directors now this is a skew slightly to higher management but then interestingly to the people that may be more sophisticated or more educated in the way in which their organizations work and therefore not necessarily subject to that organization but actually running that organization uh, and, and which made it actually i think it made the data more realistic um so um 
Getting on to some of the uh, conclusions. Moving on to the conclusions, Roger, I think that's really interesting. So who completed this survey are not, like there are people from less representative groups, but who completed this survey is mostly people who are representative of how an organisation looks today. These are the, not the little few represented, these are the majority. The, the people are the majority of people. So this wasn't, so therefore no one can come back at, at this data and say, oh, well, you obviously went and picked on, you know, these kinds of people with these kinds of gripes or issues or challenges. That I think the term is the woke brigade. We haven't triggered the woke brigade with this, I can tell you now, because it's they, they just don't fit into this profile. The profile is a, is a much more general profile of people that includes woke people. And you can, and by the way, I should say, that you can still be over 50 white male pale and stale and be woke as well so because i'm one of those i wasn't going to say but that's exactly what i thought <laughs> <laughs> um quick question i know we want to move to conclusions but interestingly is the absence of or the lower the, you know the reflection of 31 percent described their gender as male um do we think that's an interesting response rate of the the gender that doesn't engage with the survey or the subject. There's a possibility. There's a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, I, the way that that question was was asked didn't flush out people who are he, him, her, or you know that 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 notation which I never quite quite get right but the, the people who describe themselves as so we didn't use any of the of the the, the current uh, more appropriate terminology some might say we didn't use that but it does look like a higher proportion of the respondents were female yeah okay okay but basically 31% described them as selves as male and therefore um 69% were not describing themselves as male um i think one of them described themselves as a bucket but um uh so i won't do the principal conclusions i'll just i'll just breeze through different aspects of it and feel free to interrupt and, and, and ask questions at any point in, in the perception of privilege which was uh one of the first areas of the survey around about half of the respondents believe uh that privilege has a significant impact on their working lives. Mm -hmm. uh, now, nearly a lot more than that said it had it had presence, but some of quite over half, sorry, nearly half said it had a significant impact, which was quite an early uh, um, uh, result. Um, and hardly anyone thought there was no such thing as privilege because we did put in that testing question. You know, we're beyond privilege. We're a more mature society now. We're not having things like this um and a very small amount thought that it had little or no impact on their working lives six percent um 73 percent thought that privilege was both inherited and earned um so I, that that meant a large proportion of people agreed that you know there's a lot of inheritance of, of privilege and there's a lot of earning of privilege while only 21% thought it's purely inherited. So maybe interesting, it takes the sway away from just pointing the finger at 
um, the old boy schoolboy network and the the kind of uh, the Eton types and mm. the, the rich began, you know. It, it, it clearly goes beyond that into other aspects of privilege, which are really, really important uh, to take into account. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our intention is to bring you new insights about the impact of power, privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organization. You can check out our episode description for social media accounts. And don't forget to send in your questions. And you can send those to our email equitychampions at belongingpioneers.com. We look forward to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Cami said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.